Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Three, two, one. You're listening to Field Day with Katie Black. Is that is that is that good? What up, you guys? Welcome to Field Day with Katie Black. I'm honored today I have with me... Glenn Parker, 12-year NFL vet and veteran broadcaster. What up? Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So a first kind of um, weird icebreaker is I looked up your birthday and see that you're a Taurus. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. If, if you believe in such things, that's that's what I am. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you pay any attention or like absolutely not? No. I, I, I just I don't put I don't know it's just not a big deal to me I'm glad I'm a Taurus rather than some weak sign but you know. <laughs> that's funny okay so I understand that were you born and raised in California yeah, I was born and raised in Huntington Beach California um and my birth certificate says Westminster because at the time Huntington Beach Hospital was so small they didn't have a natal unit and my mom worked at the other hospital said no we're going here but other than that I've been born and raised in Huntington Beach and left there to go to college and so what was, well, first of all, going back, at what point in your youth do you start playing sports or realizing that you're very good at it? I started playing every sport at about age seven or eight. I played uh, flag football. I played little league baseball. And I played uh, rec league basketball. And I was a good basketball player. I became a very good basketball player later towards high school and just thereafter. Flag football, I was a very good player in baseball as well. But um, at the age of 14, uh, I all everybody hit, was maturing and getting strong and bigger, and all of a sudden I was left behind. I didn't. I was a very late bloomer, and um, I was a little too immature to play high school football. I just didn't like it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't like coaches screaming at me. I didn't like, especially when the coach is like 300 pounds, he's yelling, "You're out of shape." It's like this guy can't even do a push up. You know, mm-hmm. how he does other things in his daily routine. It was that bad. Mm-hmm. So. But I was, I could, I don't think I could have held grades together and done it all at that age. I just wasn't mature enough. And then after high school, I was working as a bouncer. Um, I was underage and I'd play basketball at the courts all the time with a bunch of NBA and ex NBA guys. And that's why I knew I was better there because I was always kind of a, the guy they would bring in because I didn't have an ego. I wasn't trying to be an NBA guy. I just liked playing right. the game. And, um, and they, where I worked, all the Rams came in. And almost within probably months of each other, they asked me, why wasn't I doing something at my age in sports? You know, why wasn't I playing at a college or even a junior college? And, you know, I'm working my way through with JC, trying to get to a college. I realized, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing. I'm working all night. I'm tired. It's really going to be a hard way to make it through college. And, um so with with kind of that in mind, with the way they were talking, I started looking at guys that I was playing basketball against that played at the JC football, uh, the JC I was going to and the football team and realizing I was a much better athlete than them. I'm the same size as them. And yet they're getting scholarships. So honestly, I didn't have any dream above a scholarship. I just wanted I mean, I was looking at Carroll College, Montana, any D3 or D2. I didn't know how it all worked. And I just didn't care as long as I got it paid for. I was going to be very happy. And it wasn't until I talked to my the O-line coach, who I thought was the head coach. When I went in, I thought I'd be a, I might go for tight end or D end. And he said, 
he goes, I'm the line coach. You're going to be a left tackle. And so that's what I ended up becoming in junior college was a left tackle. And, uh, but he, he started me on this path where of thinking bigger mm-hmm. and it wasn't so much that he believed I would do it. He goes, you have to believe that whatever you're doing is, is not the end of the line or else you'll stop. He goes, you have to, he goes, if you just want a scholarship, you'll get to school. You'll be happy. You won't be a good football player. And then I'll have a bad reputation. He goes, he goes, I don't understand what you're not asking saying I want to go to the NFL. And I said, well, are you and I tell you the truth, I thought he was being a dick. I thought he what why is this guy? Yeah, I know I've never played. He goes, Yeah, you've never played before and you want to play in college. He goes, So you might as well think of the NFL instead. And I was very blessed that when I went in and I had he the head coach, that all O line coach and an O line assistant, and all of them had played college football at a high level. They were all great coaches, and they taught me the game with, since I didn't have any baggage. I didn't have um, any bad habits. I didn't have a knowledge beyond watching on TV and playing flag football as a kid. Um, they taught me the game very differently. They taught me to look from the outside in, immediately find my safeties. Where are they? Because that's going to tell you the way defense is going to move and where they're going to be. And they taught me all these things. And for me, it's like learning a new language. If you it, So if you were to walk into an offensive line room the way I did when I'm 20 years old, football speak is a language. And if you don't understand it, it takes you that much longer. So I had to, it, it's like immersive foreign language training, that's what it was for me. Go into this room, everybody's talking football, and I don't really know what they're saying other than bits and pieces. But you learn it. And you get through it. And the coaches were great about teaching me concepts within the way they spoke. And so, um, yeah, I sat on the bench for a year and watched. And then my second year got hurt in camp and then started the last seven games. And I had my choice of places to go. So I, um, for me, I really wanted the pack at that point, the pack 10. Uh, I'd grown up watching Pac-8 football, uh, USC and, you know, Cal, Stanford, those were teams I loved. And I was lucky and that I, I shouldn't say I was lucky. I planned on the Pac-10 once I realized I was being recruited like that. Mm-hmm. Um, USC was the very first to offer me and that's what I wasn't even playing. They saw me at practice and offered. And I thought, wow, there's something to this. And then I understood why my coach, Dennis Dixon and Alex Gerke had said, why not the NFL? Because they didn't want me going to one of these good schools like they had gone to and then just being happy that I got a uniform. And now having coached in college only for one year, but also been around it, it's amazing how many kids are simply happy to get to college and have a uniform and get the team gear. They really don't want to play football. They they find they like college life a lot better without football, but they're there for the uniform. They're there just to have fun. And that always bothered me as a player. It bothered me as a when I coach, I just, I, it's too hard a life if you're not going to go all out and, and to play that game. So anyways, I, I narrowed it down to a few schools and, and the reason, you know, people say, well, why Arizona, if you had the choice of like I had USC and Oregon and Tennessee and a few others. And I said, well, because every coach that came to my house in Huntington Beach showed up in a suit and tie. And Dick Tomey did his homework. He knew who he was recruiting. He, he had been in Hawaii before he got to Arizona. He really did a good job of recruiting a lot of the Polynesian players, but you could tell he did his homework when he talked to the coaches and found out that I was a surfer. And that's pretty much what I did. He showed up at my house in shorts, flip-flops and a, and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> uh, that's where I'm going. Oh. <laughs> that's my guy right there. 
that he it turned out to be a great choice. That's amazing. That's an amazing kind of interesting way that you just, I know we keep saying, I kept saying organically, but an organic way of like you getting into this, you know, world essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was, I guess, mixed parts of inspiration from some people I looked up to and respected to, uh, you get that inspiration, then you just say, okay, I'm also desperate. So inspiration and desperation led me to combination. It. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and it, the old saying is, you know, people say, follow your passion. I think that's probably the worst advice anyone's ever given anybody. Um, all you have to do is look at uh, American Idol, right? Or any of those. And there are thousands of people that say, my passion is making music and I'm going to do this. And then they get up on stage and they're absolutely horrible. So they're following their passion. Mm -hmm. It's better to find what you're good at and develop a passion for it. Um, and I will be the first to admit through my first four or five years in the NFL, I didn't have a passion to play, but I was good. And then once I realized that I needed to have a passion for what I was doing, I got, I became a much better football player. And once that happened, uh, my longevity in the game certainly went through it. And then I got into broadcasting or coaching because I did develop that passion for a game that, to tell you the truth, I think my teammates would probably agree with you, my college teammates, that I didn't have a necessary passion for the game. I loved playing, but it wasn't my end all. Once you're at Arizona, the whole time, do you have the NFL mindset of like, this is what I'm going to do? I think I wanted to, but I didn't think it was, I didn't think, I didn't know what the probability was uh -huh. until uh, the draft of eighty nine when uh, a couple of teammates on our offensive line Joe Toffelbeier and Rob Woods got drafted and their agent was taught you know it was there and I met met him and was talking to people and right after the draft my brother sent me a clipping out of SI now for anybody listening they know how old I am so you know no phones no text it was a clipping out of Sports Illustrated magazine and it was top five offensive lineman for next year. And I was in that list. Um, and then I thought that's when it became real. And that summer, my roommate and I, and my best friend, we ate better. We worked our tails off, ran like crazy, showed up in shape and had a great season. So um, it really became real my just after my first year at Arizona going into my second. Oh my goodness. Well, I know that you got drafted in 1990. Is that correct? Right. And so I always ask it, guys, and I'm sure it's hard to put it in a nutshell, but like, what is getting drafted like? You know, you obviously it's stress because they're, you're being told when you're going to go, they think. And this is a by all best guesses. Well, also, our, the year we came out, um, it was the first year juniors could come out. And so a whole bunch of juniors got drafted early and most of them never panned out. So I think I personally slipped some according to what my agent had thought and what his friends in the NFL thought. And according to the team that drafted me, they didn't think I'd be there. They didn't need alignment early. They thought they'd wait. And so I went through round one and I'm thinking, okay, only and that year only two offensive linemen went in the first round. Normally there's five. Then the next round came and went, and again, only one or two linemen went. And then once the third round started going, I got picked. Uh, any other draft, number five offensive lineman, but also number two tackle 
would have been a first round pick. So uh, it's stressful. And you can tell I'm still like, I got a little bitterness over it, especially when you look back because you do, every player does this, you know, when they talk to Emmett Thomas or, or Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas, they look back who was drafted above them at their position or at, at all. And they can go, well, I had a better career than almost all those guys. Um, now my draft number six, 16 or 17 pick overall was Emmett Smith. So I didn't have a better career than him, but, the, but of all the linemen picked, you know, we all had very similar careers, if not almost identical, 10 to 12 years each, uh, starting most of our games. Um, so in the end, I went to the right place at the right time. And I, I, you really can't complain. For those that don't know Buffalo Bills, so you go to the East Coast. Any yeah. any thoughts or different vibes? Well, I get there. I get there in May. I don't know anything about Buffalo at all. I've never been west of the Rockies other than for a game or something. Um, so I don't know much at all. I've never been to New York City. Didn't never been to anywhere in New York or Pennsylvania at that point. And uh, I get there and we have a mini camp May sixteenth, and it snowed on us. And I thought, okay, I'm going to die. I didn't even own a pair of pants. I owned flip flops, shorts, a couple pairs of shorts, and probably five t-shirts. And I, I thought, if this is, and this is May, when summer began, you know. And, <laughs> um, but I stayed there. I worked out, got ready for camp, got my my contract signed. And when I, it was one of my very first mini camps. I was like, you know, you, you the natural thing you do as a player when you're brought into a situation whether it's when you get to out of JC into a college or when you go to the NFL, you start counting guys, you know, you know, okay, where do I fit in? Okay. I'm, Oh, I'm getting reps here and there. I know I'm better than these guys, or you can look at the film and know you're doing better, but then you get to camp and you can't count guys, even though they, it, it, you, you want to, you want to start counting everybody to see where that I, at one point, one of the vets said to me before camp even started, he goes, Glenn, you're, you're a third round pick. They just give you a lot of money. They're not cutting you. But I kind of always had this fear of getting cut. And um, I think it probably helped me survive as long as I did in the league because I just, I always had to make sure I was better than the other guys. And I, there's a quote that I gave our strength coach one time. He said, I don't have to be the best. I just got to be better than most. And if that'll keep me on the roster. So that was kind of my mentality throughout my career. Yeah, 12 years is a long time. Yeah, yeah. My body feels every, every one of them, trust me. Well, that's what I was, sometimes I try to ask, you know, with everyone to share. But I mean, are you an individual that because of your years in the NFL or just sports in general, that are you constantly kind of in pain? Yeah, I think anybody that plays football above high school is in pain a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And then having played as long as I did, yeah, I've got some joint replacements and I've got some things going on, but it, it affects sleep and whatnot. But in reality, I don't know anybody that would trade it. I know I once in a while I hear somebody say, oh, I if I knew this was going to do it to me, I would have never played it. And I'm like, that's so disingenuous. You know, um, you dream of doing something, you do it you're paid handsomely for it. Um, it's There's no better life in the world than competing every day in a job like that where you're physical and you can be a man and you can you can go and and do be violent and be all the things you want to be. 
No, I understand. Well, another, so I am just a kid that's always studied pop culture and fame and limelight, whatever industry that may be. And so I was curious, do you feel like you're like, what was it like to kind of step into that NFL spotlight? You know, is, do you start looking around with who's surrounding you or you never let that get to you or what was that like? You know, the game is so, you, you have to focus so hard on your job at that at the level that you don't really notice the crowd um the first time i noticed the crowd at all happened to be in college in oklahoma is it was the first time we played i mean a huge stadium and you're like wow this is fun but once the game's going you don't have time to think about anything you're playing the game and since i was a rookie and went right into a starting role and playing a lot there's just no time to think about what it is you're doing in front of whom you're doing it or how many people are watching because you're too busy with that guy across from you who's trying to kill you. So you just, you just, you become so focused. It doesn't matter. You could play in front of nobody and it wouldn't matter. That's cool. Now, what about like off the field? Do you, once you got into the NFL world, did you feel like maybe, I don't know, weird people were trying to want to hang out with you or it's, it's it is odd. People will follow you through. Like I, I had a friend who said it was the weirdest thing and people actually follow you through like the grocery store and stuff. And Buffalo's a, a, a much of a fishbowl. It's a very small city. It's not a, it's more of a region that loves the bills um, than it is just a town. And so people know you like in New York, you can be anonymous, um, Kansas city for the most part, people don't care. Yeah. You're an athlete. It's great. They want your autograph, but they're not. Buffalo was different. Mm -hmm. I just made sure that I, for me, in order to be grounded, I made sure most of my friends were not football players. Um, they were people I met and in everyday life mm -hmm. and, uh, in, got along with and enjoyed their company or, or maybe they were helping me out like whatever. And, and so that way, in order to stay grounded for me, that's what I needed. Because I think what happens is so many players, they come into the league, they spend all of their off time with other players, they get a very skewed idea of what the world really is um, and and their place in it. And they, I think that tends to have them think they're more important than they really are or more famous than they really are. And I think it also tends to poison their mind a little about the community they're in mm -hmm. and it makes transitioning out of the game that much tougher because you don't have any friends outside of the football. So that just was always something I wanted to leave that game at the door when I left. Um, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to have that game in my head 24 seven. No, I understand. Well, it sounds like you have a great mindset. I mean, just you know, I, I just think that, I knew I, you know, the, the, I think what happens is people get to the NFL and they think they're going to be one of the guys that stays forever when the probability is you won't make it one year. That's the actual truth. Um, you know, the average is like 2.8 or three, but that if you take out guys that play more than 10 years, the average drops to less than one. And it's a, if you look at a picture that's taken at the start of the season versus a picture taken at say the Super Bowl, because you will take both photos. Over half the guys in that first photo are gone. It's a new half. And so you don't always remember everybody you played with. You don't because you can't because it's a revolving door. Yeah. Um, so I, my mindset going in was this, if I get a year, I get a year. If I get three, it's wow, I'm happy. Uh, my agent asked me one time, you know, what is it, what's your goal? And I, 
And this was before I had signed. I said, I want to play long enough to buy a condo in Huntington Beach and surf the rest of my life. And was, I said, I can probably do that after three years. And he just couldn't believe someone that was their goals just to have a condo and surf. Um, but it just worked out because I think I, I, I constantly felt like I was going to get cut. I was going to be a failure and I wasn't going to be there long. And I think that's probably why I stuck around so long because, you know, it, I didn't let it eat me up. Very cool. Well, like I said, I'm trying to compact my question just because we are on a time limit. But so I understand that went to quite a few Super Bowls. Oh, yeah, I went to five as a player. Um, played in them all, started four of the five, uh, lost every one. But that's not, I mean, yeah, I would love to have one, all of them, or one of them for that matter. But um, when people ask me, how's it? how do you lose you know five super bowls well you got to play them you got to play in five super bowls and, uh, i'm the type that if you told me today i get to go right now in the shape i'm in and put on pads and gear and play in another one and i get a one percent chance that i win that game i'm going, That's awesome. I'm going. i want to do it again as many times as possible it, there, nothing beats it this might be an unfair question but did you have like a favorite one Sure. You know, I mean, if I'm looking at my favorite one, it might be my last when I was with the Giants. I was older, um, one of the, not the oldest on the roster, but the guy who played right next to me was the oldest and I was second oldest. We were 36, 37, I think, or something like that. And, uh, and nobody thought we could get there. It was preseason. I was asked about the talent on the team and did it compare to other teams I've been on? And, and I said, we got enough talent to, to win the Super Bowl. And of course they all scoff. I said, if, we, if I didn't believe that, I, I wouldn't be in this locker room. Everybody thinks it's it, the pro mindset's to win. You're going to win every game. And the minute you start doubting that is when you get hurt or you get cut and you're gone. So I had said that they laughed. We were at one point, I think, I forget our record. It didn't look good. We had lost a few and our coach said, I'll put this team's making the playoffs. I'm putting all my chips in. Well, we did. And then we won the playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. And we had a really good defense, and offensively, we were capable but not great. Um, and we had a good – it was a good game up until half or a little after half, and then it fell apart on us. But uh, that's my favorite just because of the, the circumstances, being an old guy, being, uh, you know, uh, being a leader, knowing it's at the end of your time, so you're kind of at that – you start appreciating things a lot more uh, as you get older, and that was one of them. It'd be, it'd be the last one, yeah. Super Bowl 35. That's awesome. Yeah. I always ask individuals about what is it like to once your sports career, you know, that chapter has closed. I mean, obviously, I what was that? I mean, I know it's very hard. I understand. Well, I think for most people, I, I've heard it described as anxiety. And I try to tell them that it or no, I'm sorry. I've heard it described as depression. But it's actually more anxiety with the things they're describing. Um, I think maybe if it's real early, if you, if you play a year, two years or, or something like that, I could see depression because you thought you were going to play so much longer. But if you've been in the game enough to where you're, you know, four, five, six, eight years, it's anxiety because you're institutionalized. Like you remember Shawshank Redemption and the guy hangs himself because he was institutionalized. The game institutionalizes you to the point where because you they tell you where you're going to live, what city, because you get drafted and a lot and 
when I started, there wasn't free agency and then we got it. So you're told where to be every day and at what time. You're told where what city you're going to live in. You're told throughout your day, it's cut down into meeting blocks and time blocks all the way to the end of practice and then training, you know, getting your, your being in the training room after practice and then after practice meetings. So that suddenly you've gone from a very tight schedule that's dictated by the institution to I can live anywhere I want, spend money that I have in my pockets, have all day and not nothing to do. Well, that is very troubling. That's you get very anxious with that because now the decisions to make or break you, as opposed to if you have a bad season on a football team, you you were there, you were part of it. But if you had a great season as a player, but the team stunk, well, it's them that did all that. Well, now you're responsible. You're responsible for where you're going to live. You're responsible for the house you buy. You're responsible for where you are every second of the day. And that is really troubling to some some guys. Interesting. And it was for me. And it, it was for me. I didn't. I I I knew where we were going to live, where we we're going to go, but what was I going to do with my days? And um, I quickly found doing some radio work and. Enjoyed it, and I did a couple of football games my first year for the U of A at, at, at on a local. And my my agent called and said, "Hey, NBC, this was less than a year after I retired. He said, NBC wants to bring you in for an audition." And I did, and I got the job. I was the only lineman, only non Hall of Famer that was auditioning, and I got the job. So that was great. I was on NBC for four or five years, and then at the same time, I interviewed. I auditioned for another show, an NFL Network hired me. And so just one of those things where it, it I it only took me about a year and I had I had something besides the wife and kids grounding me. I had another job that I had to be at and had to be ready for. That's awesome. Well, obviously I'm super interested in the whole broadcast world that you got into. Um what was it like to be on the other side of you know, the lens if you will? Well, it, so it's it's if you are honest, it's easy. Guys sometimes try to protect friends they have, and then and they might not say bad things about this. Well, that your integrity's gone now. You don't want to say bad things, but you can address the truth and be honest about a team you're looking at or an offense you're looking at. Um, again, it's just your opinion, right? So, um, but as an analyst, that's that's when you're doing studio shows and you're you're talking about teams and what's coming up but when you're an analyst for games which i did most of my career as well now you're really just describing you're having a conversation with the play-by-play -play man describing why things are happening on the field you, he tells everybody what happened people can see with their eyes what happened but job now is it's kind of fun because now you get to teach the game of football and as long as you make it common tongue not football tongue but describe what they're actually doing and why they're doing what they're doing it's kind of fun it's it's like being a teacher or a coach awesome well i'm a ironically even this is a sports show um i'm my kind of vice or what anything is like pop culture news television mm -hmm. all of that and so i was wondering your perspective on kind of what i observe now on sports tv where there's like seven talking heads on one kind of sports matter. Do you have any thoughts of maybe how the mediums evolved? Well, I think what's happened is they, 
somewhere along the line, they figured out from some of your old local shows that conflict, people like it and they want to watch conflict. So they take ridiculous positions on things and they fight about them. And I often ask, maybe I'm sitting at a bar with a friend. I'll go, why are they yelling at us? These people are all yelling at me. I don't need, I, so I don't like the fact that it's evolved into a lot of, of and it's and it's generally not. There are some players involved, but it's a, usually a lot of the the media voices that, you know, they they want to be bombastic and yell at each other. And I just I don't find that entertaining. I don't watch much of it. Um, I I watch live sports on TV. I don't watch pre games or post games or any of that because I just they're not going to tell me anything about the game that I don't know, and they're going to be yelling. <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I don't like I don't like real, reality TV for the same reason. It's just I don't need the drama. I understand. Well, I've got I'm they're giving me the 10 minute kind of warning. So I always kind of end on a funky, weird note. But I am obsessed with the unexplained or Sorry. Oh, you're fine. The supernatural. And was just wondering if you had ever seen a ghost or some just something really trippy. That the you house I hear. grew up in was haunted. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody thought so anyways. Um, I had friends that would talk about it. Um, you know, one time, my, no one's home, but my dad and I were down watching a football game. And a door slams. We hear pe- somebody walking across the floor out there and another door slams. He goes, we're home alone, aren't we? I go, yeah. And so he goes, go look. I'm like 10, maybe 12 at the time. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll go look. So I go look everywhere. I said, no one's here. And then five minutes later, we hear that other door, that the second door slamming. It slams, footsteps back to the first door, and it slams. And it was like, it, it was kind of this weird thing. I, you know, we called him Charlie, the ghost. Um, and it, it was from the time I was a little kid, thing, weird things would happen. The dog would sit at the bottom of the stairs and bark at the top of the stairs when no one was up there. Um, the certain rooms, dog, the dogs would not go into. They'd just stay outside and look and bark into them. So, it was, you know, the weird stuff that happens that you, in your mind, you're like, oh, that's a ghost. Who knows? But it certainly seemed like it was haunted. That's awesome. I mean, did you ever go the next step and like research the like property or land or you well, just. It, it was a farm before that whole area was farm, but before that it was all Indians and um, Native Americans in Southern Cal on those beaches, the Chumash, I think. It, it was a river area, so they were probably all through the area, but you know, no, it, nothing happened to my knowledge, but I, the house was built in what, 1971, so who knows? Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's it. Would you? I hope you enjoyed yourself. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on. Let me tell my story and, and uh, just tell people, don't follow your passion. Find what you're good at and develop a passion for it. That's a great, great advice. Thanks. Thanks. I enjoyed doing it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Parker. Thank you. Like I said, I appreciate you wanting to come on here, not knowing who I was or what person, you know, angle I had, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. It is my pleasure. Take care. This is Field Day with Katie Black. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.